<laughs> Preferably that's the conversation for the entire length of the time we're here. Um, so I'm not gonna mention the album until but I'll mention the album because you're not right there. Kind of mentioning there's, it now, there's bro. There's an album. <laughs> there is there is music in the works. FYI. Yeah. We're just we're going our own. Yeah. Cool. Yep. <laughs> I like it. I'll just go with it. So I got I got an album. Uh, I guess I I guess I'd say this is a glitch electronic music. Kind Albinotron of. is in the studio right now. Yeah, that's me, Albinotron. <laughs> I should have said that probably. <laughs> you know, just kind of just in waves. We'll introduce things. Swing it. Right. I'm so, Albinotron, you have an album in the works. You yeah. Say? It's. Um, I can't tell you the title. I can't tell you the track list. Not that I know of. I can't tell you. It's very obscure. The um, the the song names, which is the track list. I already said that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you what label's releasing it. I can tell you it's a cassette, and that's pretty cool because I feel like um, with 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 underground electronic music, uh, underground rock music, um, it's way cheaper to print cassettes, um, and so cassettes are coming back in a big way because like all these underground Bandcamp labels are picking up on the fact that you know like you don't have to drop a shit ton of money to like make a vinyl or and then cds like no one buys cds anymore who, who buys a cd like <laughs> well maybe my dad maybe but. your dad <laughs> I mean, people older people still buy cds yeah. yeah but um but i think that the problem with cds is that they're like they're so easy to destroy right and they get with, scratched super easy yeah like i mean like with a tape like you'd have to like crush it and and like that's like a little and they do wear out over time but there's usually like the more mass marketed like cheaper models right so like um like all tapes the, are pretty resilient yeah and like and all these like um all these labels are doing like really hi-fi recordings um really nice um, transfers to like tapes so I mean you're getting like vinyl quality you're getting CD quality is it is it now cap like you're capable of doing higher quality better recordings now than uh, than you would have been able to when tapes were in their heyday yeah definitely um, um, well the problem is with, when tapes were in their heyday they were more mass marketed they were more mass produced and so like um, when you mass produce anything you de degrade the quality of it like just compare like Budweiser to any like craft beer, and you're right. and you're you get the picture. It's like you're you're taking like something and you're making it so you have to uh, give it to a wide audience, and so you have to water it down essentially. Right. And so you use cheaper products, you use cheaper materials um, to create a cheaper product. And so like a lot of old tapes I had when I was like a kid are totally worn out. You can't listen to them anymore. But these are definitely higher quality. I mean. Like you can use tapes to store data too. That's an interesting thing. Like Sony developed a tape like three or four years ago that stores like um, every I, f I forget exactly how big it was. Like every square centimeter of it stores like th three or Blu-rays worth of data. What of the tape? <laughs> yeah, and so it has like sixty-five thousand terabytes or something. <laughs> it's that's insane. ridiculous. Yeah, but like I mean, like of course that's like a really high-level um, product. That's like a really and how do, are there tape decks for like data transfer? Um, yeah, like um, well, the old Commodore sixty four used uh, tapes for uh, data, and um, like the the thing is like tapes for data have been around since the um, early eighties, I think. Oh, interesting. And um, a lot of like old video games were on tapes um, because uh, I mean, really, what you're doing is you're just you're just transmitting a, a signal that's like a binary signal, and then the computer is reading it. I think. I think if I'm not mistaken. Right. And it's just like the sound, like, like the similar to how like a dial tone phone works where like, you know, like you, you play a tone and it registers that tone as like a specific bit of information. Just ones and zeros, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like That's fascinating. <laughs> I, I, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, but yeah, just the fact that you can take that old technology and like, just, it's insane how much you could fit on there. I mean, yeah. like somebody's entire you know, library of everything could fit on one of those. Now they would need like, um, they would need to find a way to popularize it as an interface. Like, because like no one has tape data transfer machines, no one built into their computers. No one has like, I mean, cause like you're talking about like using it as a backup 
maybe for or a storage for data <clears throat> you could get a, an audio device maybe that plays back songs from that and then you could have thousands i mean billions maybe of millions of songs on it right it's like it's yeah i remember the article that i read it said 65 million songs fit on this tape or something bizarre it's insane yeah (laughs) (laughs) but i mean like that's definitely like the different to the kind of tape that i'm releasing it's going to be like probably a limited run who knows maybe like 50 to like 300 copies like if it sells out there'll maybe be another run of it but it's just like dependent upon that but you see these like tapes coming back especially in labels like uh um like dream catalog which well dream catalog did a lot of vinyl too because when they got bigger but a lot of the early vaporwave stuff was all released on cassette tapes because i mean like the stuff's supposed to be nostalgic for the 80s and 90s and so it's like it's utilizing the format it's like and the, and the cool thing about cassettes is that um they're really portable. They look really good um, lined up on a shelf, especially compared to something like vinyl where you like, you, when you look at the, the, the spine of it, it's like really thin. You can, you can all you can fit on there is right. like the artist name basically right. and the serial number. So you have a little bit more uh, visual space yeah. to, to work with. And with a CD, you can do that too, but it's still really thin. But with, I don't know, I just feel like a cassette looks better on a shelf than any other form of uh, of physical uh, <laughs> media. <laughs> so my great friend Tony Saylor is also here with us today. Uh, do, do you want to weigh in on the aesthetics of uh, different media? Mm. I like that the uh, cassette tapes were having a comeback. My bad, hold on. Mm-hmm. Echo. All right, go ahead. Wonderful. <laughs> well, I like that the cassette tapes were having a comeback because of the durability. And because of the uh, cost effectiveness to mass produce them, especially on a tight budget for your, you know, modern artist, right. especially when you're a solo artist trying to do it all. There's a lot of, pardon me, <clears throat> there's a lot of um, expenses and it's really hard to finance that on your own. So every, every little bit helps. So this is a really nice way for people to have a really high quality sound with, with a low quality budget. Now, how expensive is it to duplicate tapes right now? I don't know. I just know that it's cheaper than vinyl for sure because like vinyl just has more materials involved and it's like a more like delicate process. Right. And uh, with and it's it's not as cheap as CDs though. But no one really wants to buy a CD. <laughs> right. It's like young. And actually, c- cassette tapes are, are are being pushed as the as the as the, the medium of the future for bitcoins. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating too. I just made that up. But yes. Really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let me segue into some nonsense. Real quick. <laughs> so I did. I I was curious about this a second ago. Do you know if anybody is like in intentionally trying to make a new design for cassettes that's maybe more streamlined and you know just fits into a smaller package or something like that. For, but uses the same tape, you know, that you could store data on and everything, obviously. I mean, I don't know. Like, I think that, um, I think that the, the, the high level data cassettes that we're talking about, those require like some kind of, um, new thing to, to transmit data. Like it needs, okay. it needs like a, an interface like, right. built into a computer essentially. And, or, or like as a plugin, like plug and play kind of like USB thing, maybe as a tra- data transfer. But um, but like the storage capabilities of cassettes, like like are so much higher than. Um, yeah. Basically, what they did was they had to just like um, develop nano technology that you know you could uh, that, that that was like uh, miles ahead of like CD data technology. I mean, Blu-rays are hold a lot of data, like, but yeah. But not not anything close to this a, a cassette tape. This is a reel of tape that yeah. you can like expand and like. I mean, it's like long and it's got like it's recording the same amount of data, but it's like the surface area is much higher because it's uh, it's it's able to be reeled up into this little box. Yeah, it's it's just basically like it's almost like it's because of its uh, um, because of its basic design it makes it more efficient or right. makes it, it makes it a better storage right. u- utility yeah it's a more efficient um, use of space so but, I just, it's, but it's like it's like three cds thick or something like that so i was just notified by my label that i can mention that it's on there and that um <laughs> that it's on cassette you can uh, mention that is uh, he, he well he says uh, he thinks it's uh 
um, basically people know what's happening because we've been like hinting at it on Twitter and our back and forth. I think that's right. a big deal. And um, so it's on Azura Revolver, which is out of Norway. It's, cool. Um, it's a, this little, not little actually, because they've got HKE. They got all kinds of people on there. Like they're they're and some of the music on there, man. Like it is like transcendently beautiful. Yeah. Like it. I, I can't. Like I'm so happy to be released on this label. Like That's awesome. they've got like some of the bigger um, electronic music artists out there like interested in them I think too because like they're just I mean like this label releases um, um, a lot of like variety I feel like where it's like I mean like you listen to one album and it's like an ambient album you listen to my album it's like a glitch album yeah you listen to um, glitch ambient I guess because I have like a lot of uh, melodic um, I, I pretty much every track I make has to have some kind of melodic motif to it or to keep it interesting or I'm not gonna yeah I mean I, I, I did a noise album once once yeah just pure noise but I don't think I'm gonna do that again <laughs> bro maybe <laughs> cool it with the snacks homie dude those look delicious <laughs> they are delicious <laughs> but we, we have entered podcast time no, you no, gotta no. hold off on the snacks until after it's podcast organic time. it's organic yeah it adds to the experience but For i just sure. want to say that like azure revolver is like a really cool label like yeah that's awesome man fucking great music like facade by um god if i don't get the name right i'm gonna, <laughs> so I'm gonna look it up right now um, but basically there's this album, like I've listened to like probably half of the albums on there and I, and there's not a single thing I haven't liked, which is yeah. pretty, that's pretty impressive. Profound. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think he just has like really good taste and that makes me like kind of like confident about my album because I know they release good stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the interesting thing about, about, about my music is that my workflow is a lot different from a lot of other people. It's like, um, explain your workflow again. So um, I have like a giant library of samples like um, that I've built up for going on like 10 years. Like, and, and so these are like not samples of um, like other people's music or um, uh, I would say like some of, sometimes I will sample other people's music, but these are like sample packs. These are like, um, like over the years, like people like create samples, release them, different companies do it. Sony does it like, um, like Roland does it like all these different like music companies release sample packs. And so I've just like amassed this like huge library of sample packs that I like, just store on this one terabyte hard drive. That's awesome. And I pull from those and, um, Ableton's really, really convenient in that it tells you what sample you've listened to before. And so hmm. like, um, and so if I've never listened to a sample that's in my library, I know that I can use that because I've never used it. And I never take a sample, I, it's a very rarely will I take a sample from these packs because these are commercial packs. And so like a lot of people probably have them, a lot of people have probably heard them. And so what I do is I take them and I warp them and I manipulate them in the, um, in the Ableton, in Ableton's interface basically. And so I take these samples, I like drop the tempo half and like stretch them out turn the pitch down so that it sounds a little better, you know, like turn the pitch up if I'm like, if I'm compressing, if I'm compressing the time frame of it, it just depends on how I'm manipulating it. But basically that's all I do is manipulate samples. And so I got, I got this really quick workflow where I'm, I'm able to create sounds that are, um, I, I, I'm, I'm able to like remember this like giant library of sounds and pull from it and create the type of sound I want really quickly. Right. And yeah. That's, that, that's, fascinating yeah I, I love it just finding the right um effects is is is, is key too um, because once you have your basic sounds then you're gonna you're not gonna want to leave those the way they are and so i use a lot of uh, vst effects um, a lot of free ones actually mm. um, this whole album uh that i'm about to release was made with free vst effects and um some of them are like kind of like um, I, I'll tell you one of them. It's Bow Echo. It's just great. It has this amazing effect in it called Drum Hacker, and you just throw it on any drum track and it turns it into chaos. And, <laughs> and like so, like for a glitch album like my stuff, it sounds great. Um, and so you take this like really pretty little ambient beat, and then like um, and then throw this like crazy warped like drum pattern over top of it, and it sounds really pretty <laughs> <laughs> and weird at the same time. Um, now, one of the reasons I've got both of you guys here to, at the same time, I, I kind of want to compare and contrast 
your production styles. I know Tony is a lot more about melodic stuff and guitar stuff. And for sure. um, um, Tony, I was curious if you would give us a little bit of insight into how your process works with your workflow when you're putting together a song. Well, um, I'm still in the first year of my home recording. So this, I, I feel like I'm still in the infancy stage of my, of my workflow development as far as, you know, what I can do and, you know, the principles I understand. But for now, I like to, I like to start with just like the, the, the core of it first, it's nailing down the BPM. And I mean, like I nail down the beats per minute down to the decimal. Cause I, cause I want every single part to have the exact set right feel. Is that like starting with a genre kind of? Well, I, I write without considering the genre of it. I've just kind of always done that. So like whatever the song is, whatever the inspiration is that's coming to me, I'm not gonna cloud it or try to color it to fit what I like or don't like. It's gonna be good music because you know to me because I like it. But do certain BPMs like connect directly with specific styles of music? Well, I think they can. I think I think it's even more um, it's even more important to focus on how they how they make our bodies naturally move to the music. Sure. And I really harness on how like like at the speed at which my head bops will make me calm, will make me aggressive. You know, will make me energetic, will make me think about things from the past. So there's a real physiological connection with how our body moves in the world and how like our our minds think. Do you start with a drum pattern usually? Or do you use all like melodic instruments, instrumentation at first? Well, I'm I'm actually just now testing the waters of trying to program each of the drums Mm -hmm. uh, as separate tracks. So I'll just do a little four on the floor, just a little every, you know, every four, get my snare, Mm -hmm. you know, and then just do a little eighth hi-hat, you know, split the grid. Right. And then from there, I'll st- I'll just use that as an outline because I hate playing to a metronome. Yeah, I, I hate I hate it too. It's so, it's so annoying. And <laughs> so, so what I learned is, um, if I keep the drum beat really stale, I won't fall into the trap of playing to the drums. Right. Sometimes, if you add a little stock drum beat, if it has too much flavor in it, you might accidentally, even if you don't know it, you might accidentally change up your style to try to match what you're hearing. As artists, we'll do that because we right. know how to play with people. So you want to avoid that trick. So I took me a while to get that down. So now I keep this stale, just four on the floor drum beat. And then I do all the guitar parts for the rhythm. I make sure the recordings are tight. So that way I have to do the least possible amount of work in, in, in you know, afterwards. Cause I, I don't know, I don't know how to do it. So I just gotta make sure I get it right the first time, which takes forever. Cause I'm very OCD about, you know, the, the particulars of that moment and know it's got to hold for a little bit longer. And mm-hmm. so that's how I do it. I don't know if it's me or if I'm, I mean, I'm 33. How old are you guys? 32. 35. Okay, good. <laughs> so we're, we're right around the same age. So like I've been making music for like since I was 18 and um, I just feel like the interfaces and, and programs that I used when I was younger, simpler. Maybe I'm just like stuck in the past, but like, like the stuff you're talking about where like maybe you mess up a recording and you want to cut a piece out and like, and sync it up to like the proper um, place in the track. So it's like, it's like, it's like hitting the, the one on the correct moment, like that kind of thing. Like it's really easy to do for me in like cool edit or like Adobe audition, which is basically just a remade version of cool edit, mm-hmm. but doing it in like logic or a newer program like every time i try to do some simple like cut and paste shit like that it seems like so much more of an effort and i'm like do people like this like (laughs) (laughs) like it like i mean i literally like like select a portion click the mouse twice and i've cut the thing out and then i right click and i paste and i'm done i mean it's like it's like it's like a five second thing that that's drawn out into like a minute with when I'm using logic <laughs> or pro tools or something like that. Maybe pro tools is a little better. I haven't used pro tools in a long time. Do you think that people that are just starting out with those softwares and haven't learned those previous versions have an easier time with it? It's possible. Um, like, uh, that, that, you know, you're just, that's what I'm thinking is like, you're just good at what you learn. Like, you know, you, your workflow is built around what you've used. Right. And so like maybe because I've used cool edit for so long that, I just know how to use it, but it just seems like even when I watch other people using logic, like it seems like I know I can, the, the, the thing that I can't do in cool edit that you can do in logic. That's really interesting. is like the dynamic EQ. 
Okay. I mean, I can do that in Cool Edit, but it's it's like an effect that has to process the track. Whereas, like, I can be playing back the track live in Logic and just like tweaking the EQ live, and that's a lot more interesting, I think, than um, than than doing it as a as an effect that you have to process, wait for it to process, listen back to the track, see if it did it right, right, and then redo it again if it didn't. Yeah, it sounds like it would slow down your workflow considerably that, to not be able to mess with it dynamically. It's kind of why I don't EQ anything. <laughs> Pardon me. Is 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 that feature known as um, non-destructive editing? Is that is, it, is that similar to what that is, where you can like add stuff to something as a, as a live effect rather than um, having to like bounce it to a new track, so to speak? I do know that like there's like an electronic musician called Otto von Schirach who did like glitch and shit, and he he did like live edits to tracks or live stuff like that to tracks, um, and he called it digital signal processing. So I don't know. Interesting. I don't know if that's like a legit thing or not. I just, I knew knew he called himself the gangster of DSP. (laughs) (laughs) I think non-destructive editing um, has to do with, it's hard to remember exactly what it is, but it's like, it's like as you're recording, um, it's like saving a backup or something like that and destructive Mm -hmm. editing. I might be completely talking out of my you, right now. Uh, no, that sounds about right. Like um, that sounds like logical. That um, uh, maybe basically like a temporary folder. So yeah, like, there's a temporary folder created that's restoring. That's like storing all of the past edits. That yeah, and I think destructive editing was a previous like version of it where you know it just it wouldn't save a backup file essentially. Mm-hmm. So if you stop, if you like close the program, then your project is gone basically. Mm-hmm. But while you're in the project, it remains alive essentially so the new I, I think basically all of the newer software uses non-destructive editing or at least the majority of them do because it's just way easier to have constant you know auto saves happening that are you know redundantly backing up everything you're doing right I think so, I think that that's so, maybe what so it what it means to us is when you're recording your electric guitar um, you can play it back. I mean, like you can you can record it and listen to it, direct monitor it with whatever virtual effect you want on it. But when it actually records the track, it will record it clean, allowing mm-hmm. you to go back and change whatever amp simulation you want to throw on it. Yes, there you go. Okay. Yes, cool. Oh yeah, you just you saying that right now. That I think my description was totally wrong, and that's like what you said is more accurately. Like because you it's, were saying it's, how it's, it did it. It's, it's recording it, it flat, mm-hmm. recording it flat, and then so any allowing you to hear a yeah. processed tone on top of the flat recording. So any effects that you have on it are heard in real time, but they're not recorded to the actual recording. Right. That's that's that happens when you export it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah. When you export it, when you it export it with, track, yeah, yeah, right. With exactly. lop it all to I mean, that, that that's basically how Ableton works too. Like, I can throw like a VST effect on any like loop that I'm using, and it's like I can just take it off at any time. It's not actually um, like editing the sound like permanently. It's just doing it live. <laughs> now, I I know a little bit about VST effects, and I've definitely used them. Can, do you know? Do, can you explain really simply what VST effects are and how they work? I mean, they're, they're, it's just a um, format for a plugin. So, um, like with Ableton, you create a plugins folder, you save all your VST effects to that folder, and then you have it scan that, and then it creates this like basically like objects that you can manipulate through the file explorer, and you can drop them onto a track. Okay. Um, and then when you drop them onto a track, you can then open them up as like little mini programs within the program. And it shows you uh, like knobs and stuff and how you can manipulate it. And um, like I use a lot of like very glitchy um, effects because of the style of music I make. Like I have like, um, like I said, Bo Echo earlier. I use um, Fracture, um, like uh, I use a lot of um, overdrive effects too because. Um, I don't want. I don't want to say every effect I use because you know it's like no, uh, oh, yeah, for it's sure, like, uh, <laughs> secret stuff, you know. But I, I, I definitely use a lot of overdrive. You, I mean, you, anyone who makes music can listen to my music and say, "Oh, wow, he's like throwing right. fuzz and overdrive." There's certain things that, that are going to be obvious, I'm sure. For sure, yeah. And um, I use a lot of reverb. I mean, just like reverb. Just, that's the secret right there. Reverb, reverb. <laughs> I mean, reverb on a on a string track. Oh, it's nice. It makes it like creamy. what about you tony do you use plugins on a regular basis in your production work well yes i do um although i would always rather have um a keyboard as like an interface and then just use the keyboard to be able to play the melody of whatever and then just use a a vst or a plugin to make it sound like whatever instrument i wanted 
because you really want that human, you know, you want to stay away from everything being perfectly on the grid. You want to stay off the grid a little bit to create a little movement, a little bit of like human element to your track so it doesn't sound too perfect. So like really that's that's really the goal for me is trying to get a keyboard and be able to play those back, the ones that I don't have live. Right. Now you you hit on something that I didn't even mention, which is that VSTs are also instruments. Um, so there's VST instruments, which are like basic synthesizers that sometimes can have like preset, like hundreds of presets built into them that are like amazing and stuff. And sometimes VST is an effect. So it's taking a sound that you're already generating with either an instrument or a sample and then manipulating that. Right. So it's just like, um, it just depends on VSTs can, it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to generate sounds or manipulate sounds, um, but yeah, I don't use a lot of VST instruments, honestly, like, cause I have so many samples and, um, and I'll just like, I'll just take like a sampler, like the, the, the Ableton has this uh, effect built into it. It's an instrument called the simpler. And, um, you can take, uh, it's a sampler right? <laughs> and you just drop the sample into the little like window where it shows the waveform. And then you can like cut how much of that waveform you want to use. And then you can go into the piano roll and like sequence out the, the, the sample as a melody. And so why would I need to um, um, generate sounds when I can do that? Um, now, like the album, the second to last, like, like three or four albums ago when I did like uh, your podcast before, when I had the Acid album, right. that was all created with, with physical instruments. Did you just say that was three or four albums ago? Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> Well, I mean, technically, it's like one how, of a, how long ago was that recording that we did? Um, earlier this year was it? Was it what uh, month? It, was it? It was like January or February, maybe. Tony, I don't know if you know this about Albinotron over here. <laughs> he is pretty prolific in releasing albums. Like uh, he went through. We had this discussion the other day, and he went through. I think from the beginning to to now, and it started off kind of slow, I guess, but like. Mm over the years like go through a little bit of that it just like built up so like um the first 2003 i released one album 2004 i released one album 2005 was two 2006 was no 2005 was one as well 2006 was three two one album two eps 2007 was uh, these are these are actually recordings not releases because i didn't start releasing stuff until like 2015 because i didn't have a platform until i found out about Bandcamp. Okay. Um, and then, um, you know, like by 2007, there was two, 2008 was one. And then 2009, I really hit my stride. And I think I recorded like seven albums or something like in EPs. It was just insane. <laughs> like, it was stupid. Like, but I was like, I was just meditating and like chilling at my apartment and going to work. I didn't have a girlfriend <laughs> a lot. Not having a girlfriend really cre- increases my workflow or a wife or anything like that. <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah. I'm divorced. So that's like, I'm going pretty, pretty productive now. <laughs> Responsibilities can always uh, For take sure. time away from creative pursuits. But, but, um, yeah, like in like every, every year since then, it's been like, you know, I think I think when I was married, I there was one year where I only released one or two albums because hmm. it was like, you know, I was, I was so busy. much going on. Yeah, I had a life that I had to pay attention to more. But um, lately, I've just been like cranking out stuff, especially because I use it as like a therapy. Like I use it as a way to like, um, like the last album I did, I was in like a really dark place. It's called Doubt. The, you look at the cover of it; it's like really dark. It's a one fifteen minute long track, and um, that I that I like composed in like a night. And uh, just took like massive amounts of samples, building them up. It's all in, in like and layering them. And so, uh, like that's the last thing I recorded. And then before that was a uh, two grindcore tracks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like I mean, like I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, basically. Right. That's the best thing. It's like your albums are changing by your mood. Yeah. Like, uh, I, and I just, I just, I really want to do a rock album. I feel like that's the next thing that I have to get out of me. And, and that's where Tony comes in. That's where Tony yeah. comes in because he's really he's way better guitarist than oh, I. Oh no, no, stop it! <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony is an amazing guitarist in his own right for sure. Um, Appreciate what, that, homie. <laughs> one of the reasons I, I've brought you in is I want I want to get you playing music with more of these other producer friends mm-hmm. and um, you know laying down some sick like melodies and stuff and I want to find a good drummer like a bunch of people I've been we talking to drummer. have been talking about like what we need is a really good percussionist and you know I think kind of everybody that I know knows how to make you know the percussion part and do rhythm and everything and that's great but like 
an actual, an you actual know, drummer would, would be, be amazing. amazing yes. And I know there are some around, but you know, they're just few and far between for yeah. sure. Cause like, I mean, like when I look at a beat, like I'm either taking a sample of a drummer who's playing a beat, uh, who knows what the hell they're doing. And I can hear, I can hear what they're doing. And I can understand it and analyze it music theory wise. But, um, but when I'm programming a beat, I'm doing it based on my limited knowledge of how beats are constructed. So it's always like, I feel like if a drummer was doing this, it would fit the song better. But um, I think that's kind of a thing about electronic music, though, that it's kind of like mechanical and mm. like stilted sometimes. And that's part of how the sound, you know, especially if you're using like 808 samples and like old school drum machine samples, you're you're creating this kind of like um, very like grid like uh, rhythm structure, which is um not what a drummer is usually doing. <laughs> right. It's a totally different feel. Yeah. There's a lot more natural dynamics to a an actual drummer, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I, I would say what it really comes down to uh, is, is is style. You want the drummer to 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 play what? Play drums like he plays drums. You want him to understand dynamics, but but his own personal spin on those dynamics. You want his flavor. You know what I mean? Exactly. So like that's really what it is. So you know. As you know, it's the best man for the job, or you know, like whatever the song takes. So it's it's good to be able to humble yourself and go look. These guys can really kill it. You know, yeah, you might have to split up the pie, but it's it's more fun if everybody can have some. You know, mm-hmm. and and it's gonna make the music better. And it's always got to come back to the music. Very true. Very true. The only argument against that, I would say, would be that um, when you have a full band, you have to like we were talking about this earlier. Like you have like to rehearse. Mm-hmm. You have to get tight. And, um, like we're, and like I was talking to my mom about this, that, that I work better usually in a electronic format because I have like total control over it and I don't have to like delegate my opinion to other people of what the music should sound like. Now that might decrease the richness of the, of the experience, but it's also, um, just less of a conflict environment i feel like too because i like to avoid conflict and but i but i really want to work with people i'm not saying i don't want to work with people i'm just saying it's easier it's definitely easier the less people that are involved exactly like Like especially if there's like two people yeah and and the more people that are involved you essentially end up having to manage all of the people like everybody has to manage all the people mm -hmm. until the point where you get a manager to manage all of the people and then you get bands like the police where everybody fucking hates each other oh yeah but they're great bands like (laughs) they want to stay together and make money but they hate each other so (laughs) and that's you know that's always sad to see like the band i mean okay have you guys ever played like call of duty or call of duty zombies before yeah okay have you ever this this is relevant somehow (laughs) i'm gonna try real quick okay i'm gonna bring it around so 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 you've all played call of duty with people that are good people that are bad right and then sometimes you play call of duty with like your homie he's your number one dude (laughs) you know that if there's 10 zombies coming he says he's got them you know he's got them you can just keep moving you say revive me he's gonna revive he's not gonna let you down you trust him Mm -hmm. right he's your back man he's your there you go. Got He's watching your six. You know, he'll hit the pack a punch and come save you. You know, it's important. He understands. So anyways, moving forward. Those are the kind of people that, that we should strive to have working with us. Because when we trust them to do this part and that part that we don't know how to do or don't want to do or, you know, don't have time or we want to collab so we want their flavor. But mm-hmm. all of those things are laid to rest. All the anxieties, all the worries all the um, miscommunication and ulterior motives all that gets thrown out the window when you truly appreciate and trust that they're going to bring their flavor and you like it right so that's like the main thing i would look for that's also quality professionalism you gotta find, yeah. you gotta find that homie in call of duty it's gonna get you it, it, you either because <laughs> i mean like you can have a really good friend but if you have like a combative relationship like sure because i have friends that i you know fight with all the time but they're my, some of my best friends but like right but like if you can find someone that's professional and can keep it professional even if like despite your personal like like situation then that's like the key too because like right. it's about like the synchronicity in that in that professional realm like see eye to eye 
on so yeah. many levels. And I think on Tony, you and I were talking earlier about energy vibrations and, and, and Matt and I have definitely had a lot of conversations about that kind of thing as well. But so it, it's, it's like that definitely with people that you work with professionally. Like if you feel the vibe coming off of them okay. and it's hostile or, you know, or the opposite, if it's peaceful, like mm-hmm. it definitely affects you quite a bit in whatever capacity you're trying to work with that person. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times you go into a situation like a band where you're trying to work with one or more other people and you know their energies are just colliding with each other and you have to look at that and say all right is this salvageable like can we from this chaos create something that's amazing and beautiful or is this just going to consume everybody and you know are we going to end up hating each other like at the at the end of it all it's it's very complicated for sure like it's like a it's like a bad relationship sometimes <laughs> being in a band, you know, yeah. cause I've, I've tried it a couple times and it's like, it's just like they have expectations of what you should sound like and you have expectations of what they should sound like and none of your expectations are met <laughs> and, and everybody's like unhappy, like is my experience, but that's usually for really, really musicians who are just starting out. That's what, that's what my experience was, you know, cause like I was just, I, my, my background before I ever made electronic music was like punk rock and stuff like that and like just playing guitar and and so like working with people in that kind of format is like a lot different than like sitting down and like crafting this what I consider like art like right. I'm, I'm making it's more like composing I'm making an art piece like there's so this album like since I know I can talk about it right now <laughs> so it's 14 tracks um, oh snap oh shit each, each, track, <laughs> each track is one word like, you know, like the first track is entranced and the last track is wisdom. I'm not going to say all the other ones, but, um, <laughs> but like each line of the, each track has like it, the word is one word. And that word is included in like a 14 line poem that I wrote to go with it, which is about personal growth and personal development. I thought you said it was a sonnet. It is a sonnet. Okay. A bad. sonnet is a form of poem. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and ice. But. <laughs> it's like uh, alternating rhyming for the first uh, 12 lines, and then the last two lines are a couple of... It's, not, it's a modified form of the Shakespearean sonnet with definitely not the same meter. It's because every line is like about half the, half the length of a normal Shakespeare sonnet. But that was kind of your uh, <clears throat> kind basis of my, that you built yeah, off of. Yeah. I mean, I knew I needed, I knew like when I write poems, they have to rhyme because I like the, I like the limitation. I like, um, feeling like, um, like I don't have, cause, cause I'll, cause if I don't rhyme and if I don't confine it to some kind of structure, like a meter or a rhyme scheme or a half rhyme scheme, I'm going to just ramble <laughs> yeah. and it's going to be garbage. <laughs> yeah. I've done some experiments when, where I was writing and I was trying to t- intentionally do that where it didn't rhyme, but I kept the, the sentences like the same length and the syllables mm-hmm. went together yeah. pretty effectively. But yeah, that's very difficult to, <laughs> to do uh, long, long term or like even through, you know, an entire verse. Like, I mean, it can be difficult. Sometimes like I'm, I'm part of... Uh, I don't want to criticize other artists <laughs> do and their it. art. Do it. Oh, but I mean, I have my opinion, <laughs> but I'm a, I'm a member of a Facebook group called the Louisville Poetry Society and oh, I post snap. my shit on there and they post their shit on there. And a lot of these poems are literally just prose. They're prose. They're sentences. You just put them on different lines and said it's a poem. Now that's, that's now when like the form was uh, like, like in the, you know, postmodern kind of understanding of art, like when form was like not necessary anymore and you could mm-hmm. do really anything you wanted, that's fine. Do I enjoy reading it? Not at all. <laughs> like it doesn't, doesn't feel like, like craft went into it. It just feels like you're rambling. It just doesn't appeal to you. Yeah. And you don't have to explain why. Yeah. Well, I do. I do enjoy understanding why, though, like (laughs) because, you know, I'm sure that within that group, there are plenty of of things that you've read that you did enjoy. But there, you know, obviously are specific ones that are doing it a specific way that is not as enjoyable for you. And um, and I think um, I I think like a a poem needs to um, be a bit ambiguous, too. Hmm. It it needs like I mean, because like the poem I wrote is kind of kind of ambiguous but kind of literal too like i mean like the it, it's it's obviously about self um it's called it's layers bro it's got layers <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean like it's got like this like 
because uh, the symbolism is there. Like, like I use the word artifacting, which is really interesting because artifacting is a very modern word. Like, we have the term artifact for a long. I enjoy that word, by the way. It's great. And, and artifacting goes into video editing and whatnot now. Yeah, too, and it is, goes into art. Yeah. And so, like, I use, I mean, the line I'll tell you is artifacting art shall seethe. And so there's two alliterations in that line, artifacting art. And then there's uh, shall seethe, which is an alliteration. And then um, uh, seething can refer yeah. <laughs> <laughs> seething can refer to <laughs> yeah the line sucks <laughs> no no I'm sorry it was just the second alliteration I preferred three or more it yeah, was just a I, I know I, I had to keep the meter see I'm, I'm, I'm confining myself I'm restricting it <laughs> discipline is important in uh, in crafting creative Project. And what you're really talking about is the universal appeal of, of something creative within a familiar framework. Mm-hmm. Thus, the success of popular music. Yeah. True. True. Which is but, a universal but theme. But I, I think that you it, could, you know? yeah, it's a universal theme for a reason. I think that it could definitely be argued that without some kind of structure, there would just be chaos. And like a certain amount of chaos is consumable, but beyond a certain threshold, you need a little bit of a framework in order mm-hmm. to kind of appreciate and become involved in certain in music. I think. I think that um, I think that it depends on what you're looking to get out of music. Are you looking to experience something, or are you looking to enjoy something? And for me, like music, more often than not, is something I want to sit down and enjoy. Um, but sometimes I get this weird hair up my ass to listen to like blaring noise music and it's like and it's like I just want to experience this and see if I can appreciate it and challenge myself you know and sometimes it, it just sometimes you have to like say what is music is music melody harmony and rhythm and that's it or is it sound pure sound like can any pure form of sound expression be considered music and for me it can but I have to be in that mood right <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Because I mean, you could you could just sit outside in a park or you know in a forest and listen to what is naturally occurring, and hear the music in it. Like you could, you know, that's. But it's kind of like a it's kind of a decision, you know, to to de- to decipher it that way. I mean, my friend Alex, um, who uh, Alex Koenig, who is also Mesh, spelled N M E S H, pretty big in the vaporwave community. Um, he. Uh, he played some music for me when we were in high school that was like just the sounds of like the wind rustling through like bamboo trees or something and I was like this is the best thing I've ever heard and I didn't (laughs) know this could be music and this would be released on an album and I loved it and like and I like I couldn't it just blew my mind that that could be considered like something that could be recorded and put on an album and released as music but any, I mean, you could sample anything and like chop it up and make it into percussive sounds and melodic mm-hmm. sounds and or you could ignore and, all of that and preserve the kind of naturalistic like lack of rhythm and lack of tone and lack of melody and harmony, and then have something entirely unique like that. That's it's weird. You could go either way. You could have like you could abandon all musical structure or use a lot of musical structure or somewhere in between which is i can't i kind of think my album's somewhere in between because i have a lot of glitch effects that are they're not confined to like the rhythm it's just like um and i think that's how noise should be used a lot of times in music because i mean like pure noise music is interesting but no one's gonna sit down and listen to that all the time unless if you're like unless if that's your thing or black you're, dice <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's almost impossible oh my goodness. yeah <laughs> or Mer, uh, mersbau like, i feel like i'm listening to like a, a computer dying yeah <laughs> I mean, like, uh, and sometimes like that's really cool like to hear time and a place time right. and a place right. but right. um but those those little noises have like really interesting applications in as like as background elements they can further the plot right like like so so let's say like like let's take take my album as a as an example no exactly you're right um so like um i have like every song has like an ambient like synth sound usually and then it has like one or two drum patterns and those drum patterns might be straight straight up swing glitched out whatever um, and then I always add one or two layers of glitchy noise as like a subtle background thing that a lot of times you won't even hear it in like um, the speaker, um, but then you throw on headphones and then boom, like in the like there's this like other like 
these undertones and these other sounds that are like really defined that are in there if you really listen it adds like a depth to music it makes it like re-listenable so you're like oh wow i'm finding new things out about this thing every time i listen to it that's the goal it's interesting even just like listening to a spectrum of different kinds of speakers and headphones and going from you know the cheapest ones that you can get up to you know like maybe some Harman Kardon system or up to fully immersive 5.1 surround sound and all that well, Tony, you look like you I got something. I was going to say. It was, no, 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 it was I, just I, a really cool way to say something. <laughs> just, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like this. Um, I'll, I'll, it almost reminds me what you were saying is kind of similar to some of the more intelligible tracks from Animal Collective. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, I really love, and I think what you're hitting is like, uh, is like listening to music where like you can tell that the person making the music is aware of the patternicity elements of our brain and our mm-hmm. tendencies to, to have certain reactions to certain frequencies. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see them breaking that wall, if you will, that fourth wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like we know they're kind of playing with it. <laughs> and it's really cool when they push the boundaries of like harmony and disharmony. They're also definitely a musician's band. Like um, like, like Frank Zappa, sure. like For all sure. kinds of bands are like that. Where like if you make music, you can appreciate this on a whole nother level. It's just hard to appreciate on a face value. Let me quickly absorb it. Let me jump in the middle of the movie and get it. You can't jump in the middle of this plot and get it. You kind of got to go with it on a journey. Yeah, my, one of my ex-girlfriends got me into Animal Collective and like we're still <laughs> friends. So like that's, that's, <laughs> that's a, good, a good sign. Good woman. <laughs> <laughs> Animal Collective has held you together as yeah. friends. That's awesome. Um, what was I going to say? I was going to say something. Oh, uh, we were talking about the quality of microphones and like, and so we were, you and I, uh, Tony, were talking about Opeth earlier. And like, you know, black metal in general is an interesting genre because it started out extremely lo-fi. And then there was a split of people who said black metal has to be lo-fi. Purists. Purists. Mm. Elitists. And, and black metal <laughs> that has to be, like, they can be really well produced, like Opeth or Emperor or other bands like that. And, um, and so like, have you heard Burzum before? Perhaps Varg Vilkenis or whatever is that's Mister Varg Vilkenis. Yeah, <laughs> he he's he's the one who's famous for like murdering the lead singer of uh, Mayhem. I think. Wow, gotcha. I'm stabbed fam- him in the I'm eye. I'm familiar with that story. Yeah. <laughs> like so, um, so he spent some time in jail, but he's like he does like all his music is like a solo project where he's like plays the drums, plays the keyboard, guitar, bass, sings, does the whole thing. Wow. And um, and so he has this album called Philosophim philosophy i guess is what it translates to i'm not sure <laughs> but um but man it is like the it is a beautiful album to listen to but um he it's a very specific sound he he used the the cheapest um like computer headset microphone he could find to record hmm. the vocals he used his brother's cheap stereo to play back the guitar instead of an amp <laughs> like I mean, like like it is like as deliberately lo-fi as you could possibly make an album. I feel like, and yet it comes out sounding really tight, well produced, put together. And you're like, this guy knows what he's doing, like even though he's using the shittiest things ever. So how do you accomplish that in that circumstance? You, you I think you just have to know um, how um, how different frequencies work together. Like so, the guitar is really tinny and high end, and so you got to have like drums that are really bassy and low end. You gotta have vocals that are really like the vocal. I mean, th- this is definitely noise, noisy, abrasive, violent music. So having that lo-fi sound really adds to the aesthetic. I mean, burzum means darkness in the black tongue of Mordor from Lord of the Rings. Like, like that's <laughs> fucking sick. <laughs> it's metal. I mean, he, now now this dude's super racist and like a total like bigot. So like I kind of like so, so you're not behind him all the way. No, no, but I love his fucking music. So it's really weird. It's like it's like Beck. I mean like I love Beck, but he's a Scientologist. You know, and Scientology is kind of weird. Dude, he's a he's a mole. He's he's on our side. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay. I, I'll take that. <laughs> How far down that mole hole do you want to go? Tony? Well, he's a second generation Scientologist, which is interesting. So he might just be doing it because his parents did it. I'd like to redact that statement. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> we'll just bleep it out. <laughs> we'll put in a sample of like a fart noise right there. <laughs> it's, I've I've had that request before. Oh, believe really? it or not, yeah. <laughs> you can make that section as lo-fi as you want. Just drop it all out. Just We're, like. Just like run it through like a bit crusher until it just sounds right. like noise. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know. They're going to be able to uh, de-bit crush that back into... Just like on Dick Tracy. Remember that? Really? Remember Dick Tracy? I, the movie? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Dude. I haven't seen it. So there was this character on Dick Tracy called Mumbles. <laughs> and and he was one of the bad guys. And when they were like interrogating him, he, he, he said... And, and they were like... They're recording him as he's as he's saying stuff, but he's like mumbling, so he mumbles real fast and everything. And like they play it back, and he just kind of laughs at him, and then they slow it down a little more and more until you can like just clearly hear him say "Big boy did it," and it's just slowed <laughs> down because they can do that. And then he's like freaking out about it. But oh wow, it's hilarious! <laughs> wow, that's great. <laughs> I need to go back and watch that movie. I bet it hasn't held up. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a classic. It's a stylistic very... Yeah. Because like, I remember it being like really like bright and colorful. I mean, it's a yeah. cartoon, essentially. Yeah, yeah. It's just like I mean, it's live action. It's a comic book, like yeah. a very colorful one. I mean, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is another one that... Yeah. Love one of my favorite movies from when I was growing up. Back in the day. Good old days. Good times. We're all the same age, too, so we all like the same stuff. I yeah. Too. All, like, uh, my favorite, I mean, my favorite movie was Ghostbusters, hands down. Ghostbusters is yeah. amazing. Ghostbusters <laughs> 2 was really good, too. I appreciate it. That was it. the first movie I ever saw in the theater. And, um, awesome. Uh, you know the scene at the end where uh, Ray gets possessed by Vigo? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, Ray, I'm Vigo. Like, that, that scene, I was like five. And that movie came out or four or something. And that scene <laughs> happened and I like ran screaming out of the theater. My parents had to run after me. It was great. That is awesome. <laughs> it's like my first movie going experience. It's like screaming and running out of theater. I didn't get to see that movie in the theater, but I definitely remember being, you know, kind of freaked out mm-hmm. by some of those scenes. I mean, which it, it Dude, is kind of a testament this- about, you know, the success of it i would say for sure and to this day like there's a scene in that movie where like uh i don't know why we're talking about movies now but it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's all right <laughs> but uh there's a scene in this movie in that movie where um you know janosh the mm-hmm. the uh he goes and knocks on uh dana barrett's door in the, during the blackout and then as he turns around his eyes light up and shoot like like flashlights out and he starts like scanning the hallway <laughs> and i'm just like oh this is so creepy <laughs> To this day, it scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Love it. What about you, Tony? You got any uh, childhood memories you want to bring up? <laughs> Movies or otherwise? You don't want to go down that rabbit hole today. <laughs> We're almost out of time. We, we can't even scratch the surface of my perfect childhood. <laughs> is, is there anything you guys want to uh, promote or share while we're talking? Um, yeah, I'll go first. At uh, AlbinoTron is my Twitter um, I love I'll, that name, by the way. Thank you. That was awesome. <laughs> I, I've thought about like minimalizing it just to albino, but um, I like albinotron. See, like albinotron is a is is like like back when I was a kid, like every electronic musician would like put Tron or like <laughs> in their name because like everyone had watched Tron and thought it was the coolest thing ever when I was a kid. So to be fair, it was the coolest it, thing. It, ever. it was. <laughs> so like so, I think that just goes back to me like like being super into like. Uh, electronic music and like like sci-fi and shit and just feeling like but but that's such an 80s sci-fi term you know but um so oh, you've been thinking about dropping the tron from i thought about it or, or changing the name entirely like i'm, I'm definitely my rock album is going to be released as like just me hmm. matthew sisk that's my name well i mean that's who don't know. that's a good way to go with it i think because yeah. i personally my opinion just based on how prolific you've been so far is that you shouldn't cancel Albinotron by any means, no, but no. obviously, like, yeah, releasing something under your own name or under a different, you know, pseudonym. Rebranding can be a little, like, cheesy, though. Sure. <laughs> so, I don't know if I want to do that entirely, but um, it's like, it's like, I minimalized it. I'm Albino now. <laughs> it sends a whole different message. Albino. Like albino Tron <laughs> sounds like a robot that is an albino. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> maybe maybe the pop maybe the pop side of me like mm. the pop singer will be albino. How about there you that? go. There we go. Yeah. Are you gonna shave your? I did, I did want to make an album called Disco Pussy someday, where it's like all like um, disco music with like sex songs. I'm like pretty weird. sure Simpsons did it. Oh fuck. 
Hey, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Sure. <laughs> what he said. Every, everything is derivative, right? That's oh, and right. the other thing is albinotron.bandcamp.com. And then uh, let me let me pull up the label real quick and you can. So at albinotron on Twitter and albinotron.bandcamp.com. And um, the label I'm going to be on. I mean, like if you go on my Bandcamp, I link to everything else I'm on. Sure. So it's not like a huge deal, but it's called Azure Revolver. The the Twitter you know at, at I'm pretty sure is at Azura Revolver. Azura is the is a um, Japanese god I think. <laughs> I mean I, I aced mythology but it was all Greek you and Roman so. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely look up Albinotron. He's got some great stuff that he's been doing for a long time. What about you, man? You got oh, anything you want to share? Yeah, uh, I have an Instagram that's always popping with some videos. You can catch me at Anthony Says, and that's S E Z Z, one word, Anthony Says on IG. And Tony is also really prolific. I've seen over the years, I've seen a transition probably a little bit, but from day one, I've always been impressed with your guitar skills. And he puts out Wonderful. videos, like he said, on Instagram on a regular basis. Yeah, Tony and, and I are going to get together and record some stuff. Awesome. Be oh, yes. So Definitely. happy to see the and sparks. I'm also albino as well. <laughs> like, and it's, and, as and, a description. Yeah. And, and I'm ginger as well. And, and, and we're all ginger. And one more similarity on the surface. His, your name is Albino Tron. Kind of a throwback to some of your, you know, late teen, early 20s years, right? Right. Well, check this out. My old dubstep producer name, by the way, never even started working on one dubstep track. But I had, <laughs> but, but, but I had a name, and it was and it was Womptimus Prime. So that's a true story, and um, maybe Womptimus and uh, and uh, you know because the Womp, you know, yeah, yeah, right yeah. Rat a tat, rat a tat. So so you know a little Womptimus Prime and Albinotron might have to. I like it. Come out one day. Yeah, it'll be dope. So that's the next collab. Or maybe one of the next collabs. We could have a lot of stuff working. Like, I think that um, uh, forming a band sounds cool, too. I mean, like, just whatever, man. Like, mm-hmm. we'll, 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 we'll update through the podcast. And Absolutely. So, you, you people listening, listen again. Yeah. Maybe there'll be more. There may be some big things in the works. You yeah. never know. Big so projects, music. Definitely. Fun, fun stuff. Check back with us whenever you can. My name is Maple... I have a website, mayplexmonk.com, where I put out a lot of the projects that I'm working on, and you can check that out. And I have an Instagram and Twitter under mayplexmonk. Uh, that's how most of mine are, just mayplexmonk, all one word. And we're about to get out of here, but this has been a great uh, philosophical grandeur with Albinotron and Tony over here. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for Pouring being here. Pouring sweat. <laughs> Thank you. It is a little warm in here. This is our first time uh, recording in this space, so we're just kind of figuring out how we're going to do it and what it's going to be like. And it's not as cool as it was when we first walked in here, that's for sure. (laughs) And I'm wearing pants. Oh, snap. They have, like, fish down on the inside. Don't ask me why. (laughs) The real question is, uh, why am I selling Christmas?